0: Nicolas Cage is probably one of our generation's definitive actors.
1: And welcome to Cage Fighting. It's your main man, Andy Gillard, here. Hope everyone's keeping safe in the world.
0: Hi there, everybody. Matt Guy here. Let me uh, try that again. Matt Guy here. Hope everyone's having a good time this evening.
2: And I'm still only going by Stu. No surnames anymore. <laughs> you will learn eventually. Hello, everyone.
1: I just feel it's part of my pattern now to like dropping the surname. I don't think I could drop it. So, Matthew, did you know that our very own. Stuart Kennedy Hall has been lying to us. <laughs> Kennedy, Kennedy, I, I I can't remember what your middle name is, so I've decided I'm just going to pick one at random.
2: It's Kenneth, not Kennedy, by the way. Kennedy's way cool. I should have just left it at
0: Kenneth. That. Kenneth, though, it's yeah. a nine inch. It's a nine incher. Kenneth. Uh, oh yeah, love <laughs> like the love like uh, <laughs> on the face.
1: What's what's the um what's the betrayal that- of
2: trust then, Andy,
0: with <laughs> Stewart?
1: He told us that he hadn't been camping before. Oh, this is However.
2: Not, no, this is not real. He sent me this as well. It's not camping. You can read out so, what, what, he's, what he's claiming yeah. he's not camping. I'll be the judge
1: of that. A good friend, Simon Gold, has told us that they went camping when they were younger. Uh, they were at his mum's house, camping in the back garden. And this is when he burnt a fence down. <laughs> <laughs> they also set fire to his old match day jeans before falling asleep outside, pissed up, and his mom dragged us all into the house as no one had sleeping bags or tents. <laughs> well, where? Where? Uh, Goldie does point out that he'll say it's not real camping, which he has done, uh, but it's camping in the back garden is still camping. Uh, and this is also the night he nearly killed himself by tripping up in a hole, which <laughs> they made for the fire, whilst holding a pitchfork, which ripped his jeans, which is why they put them onto the fire to burn them.
2: Yeah, that's the truth, So yeah.
1: Terrible. What's, go- what's going on, we,
2: we, mate? We also go did. Ride. We also burnt seven years' worth of mum's tax return forms as well to get the fire going in the first place. <laughs> but, um, yeah, that was a night, that was. I think it, was, yeah. it, it might have been. It was more than likely a, Euro, a Eurovision party of some kind, um, something like that, or, or it was after the season had finished because that's why the jeans were on. Or it was the last game. It might be the last game of the season, something like that. That's why the uh, the old jeans had to uh, cop for it. But yeah, Dean had to uh, had to put the uh, the <laughs> the fence out with the hose, and there was the um, the smoke aware neighbours moaning and complaining they were going to call the police <laughs> on us. But did, the, you have, um, did
0: you? Did you
2: have the ever, con? Sorry, go on. The con because the the uh, path was not slabbed, it was concrete in parts as well, and we yeah. didn't know that when concrete gets hot, it pops, and so you had this this concrete bits just flying everywhere. Or it was it was a bit of <laughs> a shambles. But this, it's as far away from proper camping, and from what Tara said, marshmallows were not involved. So that you just put that one to bed. Marshmallows were still not touched my lips at the time of recording. Um, but yeah, so it's it was it was a fire in the garden where we stayed outside with no tent. That's not camping.
0: It sounds like the kind of marshmallows that were in The Hangover Part 2.
2: <laughs> that you'd never been considered
0: with legs like, with something as opposed to um, the kind of marshmallows that you would have in a bonfire. But jury's out on is, is that camping or not. Sounds more like a bonfire to me. But listen.
1: It's outside though. Outside the debate rolls on. I mean, I've slept. Yeah. In, I've
0: slept in a field when I've been pissed off at drinking underage. I won't call that camping.
1: <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, that, that's this week's adventures of Stuart Hall. <laughs> Tune in next week. Yeah. So we're here to discuss Nicolas Cage's 2003 film Matchstick Men. <laughs>
2: Would you like to tell me what's been bothering you? No, I don't like being outdoors.
1: Tell me you've left the house in three days.
2: Mm -hmm. One, two, three.
1: Have you eaten anything in three days? Mm -hmm. Besides canned tuna? Mm -hmm. Anything else? Dirt. (laughs) Obviously, I have a lot of ticks. (laughs)
2: These distractions affected you workably? What would you do if you had to change careers? What, if I wasn't an antiques broker? If you weren't a criminal. I'm Agent Kellaway. This is Agent Cole. We're from the Federal Trade Commission. You've been the victim of fraud. Do you have any more of those L-47s? Oh, yeah, maybe in the car. Oh, wait a second. Oh, here we go. This is Dr. Klein. I just got off the phone with Angela, your
0: daughter. says so she really wants to meet you.
1: Remember me? All of a sudden... I have a daughter. <laughs> Somebody get in here. Hallelujah. You got a chicken there? It's a riot, huh? Little training bras hanging from the shower rods. <laughs> that's no way for a young lady to
2: behave. And uh, shame on you. Try to be as honest and open with them as possible. Right? You're a con man? Con artist. Wow. Slim Flan man, Mastic man, ticker pick.
1: And that guy Frank?
2: He's my partner. Teach me something. Rule number one, never work near where you live.
1: Don't...
2: Rule number two, yeah. don't write anything down. <laughs> you regret it, exposing her to that? Well, you know, it was a little... It, it made me feel a little... I, you know, I was a little... I really liked it. How much do you think we can take that guy for? 30 grand. More. 500,000? A million? Come on, I'm 21. This 14-year-old girl working these people with me.
1: My a smooth out for raisins.
2: <laughs> I'm not very good at being a dad. I barely get by being me. You good to go? Is it po in the woods? Just say yes, okay? There's one last thing. I want you to give the money back. This is so... Time isn't paid. No, it does, it does just not very well.
1: What were your preconceptions of this movie? Um, I've got to admit, I, I knew nothing about this film until I saw it looking on IMDb to see what what film we were doing next. Did either of you two know? Have you heard of this before, or is this brand new to you both as well?
0: I mean, I until I've seen this film didn't know that's what the term matchstick men meant as like a con artist so by that token i hadn't a clue what the film was about prior to watching anything about it until i'd watched the trailer i hadn't a clue what it was about i assumed matchstick men was some kind of i just I, I put it down to war or something like that like a war film or something yeah
1: um, I, I thought exactly the same i thought it was going to be their ex of well, their vets or something um, i had no idea
2: i thought it might be you know them cool people who make like battleships and stuff and like and proper lung belts with matchsticks. uh, And because it was a comedy as well, I thought it might be something like that, where it was like a a railway convention kind of thing with shadows. But then when you read the blurb at the end of the last week, that was the first time I actually heard what it was about. Never even heard about the film before. Mm,
1: Yeah. Obviously, you look at the cast and crew. I mean, I, I know, obviously, we know it's going to be a Nick Cage film. But seeing Sam Rockwell's name on the, the cast list gave me hope. Like, he's an actor who takes big swings, much like our own Nick Cage does, really. And the fact that it had a really competent director in Ridley Scott, I, I had quite high hopes going into this, knowing that information. How about yourselves?
2: I love Ridley Scott, but again, in this kind of the Ridley Scott, the big, big Ridley Scott films, not intimate little things like this, which hmm. is what a complete opposite of what you, would well, what I'd think of a Ridley Scott film being. So I was, again, when when we said Sam Rockwell, that was the, uh, that was a killer, but we've, we've been scorned and burnt before with the uh, big <laughs> yeah. name, big name stars in Nick Cage film. So it was just, well, let's just go in and see what we uh, see. What we see. Mm,
0: I was, um, I was keen to see kind of what, visually it was going to look like because you don't associate Ridley Scott's as shoe said with with quainter more basic or, or less visually impressive films that mm. this essentially is um and like what his tone is going to be because of that and to your point about Rockwell like he he makes three billboards for me um absolutely mm-hmm. I think his his performance in that film was outstanding. Did he win? Did he win the
1: Oscar for that or the Golden Globe for that? He won the Oscar for Best Supporting Actor.
0: Yeah, and, and rightly so because mm. he was he was sensational in that. And mm. I, I, I think straight away knowing that those are going to be the two leading men in this film that before we get into dodgy script writing or before we get into any anything relating to like the visual of the film, at least we know there's a decent foundation for the film.
1: Mm, absolutely. Uh, Stu, I know you don't generally watch trailers before the film. Matt, did you see the trailer before?
0: I saw it before the film, just as a, a fact finding exercise, really, to try and find out what it's going to, what I feel like before and after, because we've been mm. burnt, obviously, by jujitsu, <laughs> um, <laughs> the, the, the standard bearer for, you know, uh, the trades description act. Um, yeah. but yeah, I mean, trailer wise for this, it. Was slightly. It was more comedic than than the film mm. actually ended up being for me. And he doesn't really, apart from the fact that he says he has a daughter, he doesn't really go into any depths about that. It becomes more like an Ocean's Eleven style film because it's very quick cuts all the time and, and that kind yeah. of thing. As you associate it with like con work, um, so the trailer made it out to be more of like potentially a black comedy than than anything that's thought provoking.
1: Yeah, I noticed in the trailer there was a few of the. Um, that was talking mostly about the mental health of the character that mm-hmm. was playing up his uh, Tourette's and his OCD. So I was a little bit worried going into the film that it was going to be an unsympathetic look at that. Mm-hmm. And it did come across quite slapsticky, I thought, in part. Stu, have you seen the trailer since seeing the film then?
2: Yeah, I saw it about. Oh, fair ago. <laughs> um <laughs> just, because, just for the reason that always say, I mean, and, and again with this, if I'd seen the trailer, was there any real point watching the film? Because the one I watched especially gave pretty much everything away. Um, but mm-hmm. yeah, it did, like you say, it did kind of play up as like a Forrest Gump kind of figure of fun, whereas that's not really what it was about.
1: Yeah. I've got to admit, I'm glad we got a different film to what the trailer gave us. So the film Matchstick Men 2003, a phobic con artist and his protégé are on the verge of pulling off a lucrative swindle when the former's teenage daughter arrives unexpectedly. It is adapted from a 2002 book, Matchstick Men, a novel about grifters with issues by Eric Garcia. I didn't know that this was actually um, an adaptation of a novel, Mm. but I'd be quite interested to see if there's much difference between the two. So the film begins, it opens up with Nicolas Cage stood in a large, seemingly expensive looking house. We see him opening his doors three times, immediately indicating he is a man with OCD. Cage heads into work. He arrives at his office where Sam Rockwell is swindling money out of an old lady. The classic, we'll give you something free, but to avoid tax, you need to give us some money. In order to double down, they visit the marks after the con job to get their bank details. Whilst there, we see that Cage also possibly has a tick alongside his OCD. When Rockwell notices this, he gets him out of Dodge quickly and asks, why didn't you take your pills? I felt this was a very subdued start to the film. Cage comes across as a man with money, but we're also treated to this Chekhov's gun of this OCD ch- uh, a tick and agrophobia. Uh, try that again, and agrophobia. Um... I wasn't quite sure where we were going with it because I'd had this vision of it being a little bit more comedic. Not much happens. It just sort of smoothly slides along at the opening sort of 10 minute marks. What were your thoughts on this, Matt?
0: Yeah. Rightly or wrongly, I think you assume when a film is so open about the mental health of a character or or a condition that a character may have, you think you automatically assume that something bad is going to happen, and we'll see a descent in that person's well being. But we almost see Nick Cage's character have a have a handle on on himself, apart from when um, he's in the Mark's house. Um, I don't. I never felt like through the whole film. I never felt like his conditions is actually part of the plot. It's just more wow. of like a more of like a characteristic than actually an e- an element of the of, of the the plot movement. And I felt straight away that they're not going to play on his mental health that much. It's just going to be an extension of his character, and it was strange because it's something that you expect that they not exploit, but they dig into a lot. I, I didn't know where they were going with it because I thought, is this going to be like a drugs thing? It, it becomes dependent on his pills, and there's a and he descends into like crime on the back of it and that kind of thing. And it never really pulled the trigger on on some of the things that it could have done around his condition.
2: Yeah, uh, the bit for me was when they um, when he opened the door and he starts flinching mm. and going all strange. And I thought that this is going to be, like you just said, this is going to be a kind of man against the world and the do- his daughter's going to be the one to bring him back in line or something like that. Because, again, going on the um, the three thing, I've, I've, I don't know if I've mentioned it on this one, but I've definitely mentioned on some podcast somewhere that for about six six months to a year, I did something similar, similar to that, but it was four times. So, like say now, if I move my touch my head like that, I'd have to do four. So I'd have to do two, three, four. So I'd have to touch things four times, or not sh- like open and shut the shutter door four times, but I have to move mm. the handle up and down four times. In the end, I just thought this is fucking stupid and just stopped it. But <laughs> it, it took a bit of willpower doing it. And I don't know where it came from either because you they say, oh, it's stress-related and we'll we find out later how he came to do it. But yeah, I thought that's what kind of resonated with me. So now Matt had the thing with uh, Raising Arizona the other week, his personal situation. And mm. I never expected this kind of thing to come back to me. I thought, oh yeah, that's a blast from the past. <laughs> but But one that was kind of... From my point of view, I got over it easily, and it was never really a thing, and no one really noticed it. I don't think because when I said it to people, they said what, but it was definitely a thing for a long time. So when he started doing the other things as well, I thought, hang on a minute, yeah, summer a right, and as was proved to be,
1: I didn't think it was a bad start per se. I just felt it was no, quite no. a slow one. Uh, obviously, when we compare it to like Trapped in Paradise, which I know we didn't particularly enjoy, but that was. Quite quickly out of the gates, as was Raising Arizona. So I felt this was probably more interesting, but paced a lot better, I felt.
2: If I if I hadn't known that it was a comedy, I might have, I don't know, appreciated it a bit more. Mm. If I had gone into it knowing absolutely nothing at all, just the name and who was in it, and you think, oh, is it a bit like um, What's Eating Gilbert Grape or something like that? He's <laughs> gone a really dark path. <laughs> It might have been a, a different mindset, but it it was it was almost like because we know what it was, it was waiting for that kind of comedic payoff, and it was all very, like I said, a bit a bit oceans. Like it was, mm. it was hinting at things and the the swindles on and Britain at this point it hadn't got there yet.
1: Yeah, yeah, I, I know what you mean. We get back to Cage's house. He saves money in his porcelain dog. That evening's meal consists of a can of tuna, which he washes out and puts in a sealable bag. The following morning, Cage accidentally knocks his OCD tablets into the waste disposal. He goes into immediate breakdown. His doctor is no longer contactable, so pills are not accessible. After failing to respond to Rockwell's calls, Rockwell comes around to see him. Cage is in full obsessive mode. He does everything in triplicate. He cannot cope with Rockwell wearing shoes within his house and dropping his sandwich on the carpet (laughs) which even as someone who doesn't have like high level ocd i think that would piss me off Mm -mm -mm. someone just like quite happily letting their shit fall all over the floor two crumbs not acceptable (laughs) (laughs) rockwell arranges for cage to see a doctor we find out some of his history he had an ex-wife who was pregnant at the time of the split and that he does not know whether or not she kept the child. The doctor gives Cage some tablets, which he believes are helping him. However, we still see that he's ticking, even though he states that these are helping. So I think it's showing us that the character is, that there's more to him than just this OCD. There's obviously deeper lying issues underneath that. He's saying that they are help, he does feel better on them, but he's still ticking. It's like, well, actually. If those tablets were helping you, you wouldn't. And I feel that you see that Rockwell clocks that quite early doors, so immediately I don't feel like from the get go you don't ever fully trust Rockwell's character. I don't know if that was just me, but I, what, what did you two think of Rockwell? Like when we first meet him, because we know he's going to be the other half of this film. Stu, what were your thoughts?
2: I just thought you didn't care. He, he was he was the one who he was the one of who uh, enjoys the life and just. He goes along with it and he reaps the rewards of everything, whereas Cage is the one doing all the actual work and he's the one with the issues and the big house and the, well, the swanky house and all the nice, nice furniture and everything. And Rockwell's the one who's just the playboy who doesn't give a fuck. That's it. That's how it came across to me. And he was
1: in, in it for the love of the game, sort of thing.
2: Yeah, I mean, you could see how, how he was. With his desk as well. His desk was, there was stuff all over the place and there was no kind of order to it when, when earlier on when we were in the, um, in their, off, their office or wherever that was.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And he's the, he's the front man to it all. He's the, he's the swagger. So it's almost like a Mick Jagger, through <laughs> a <laughs> situation where one gets the limelight and enjoys it and the other stays in the background and just does the hard drugs, which is very, very
1: similar. <laughs> yeah. Definitely, Matt. What were your um, early thoughts on Rockwell's character?
2: I, I did think it was
0: quite obvious—not obvious, but I think it was quite apparent that he was like the second fiddle, the the sidekick in the operation. And and I think we uh, uh, told that when he says, even in the first scam, are my supervisors here to to you know to have the conversation. And and while that might just be, they probably just alternate who does the scam first. I did very much feel like he's the padawan to the master <laughs> that is Nick Cage's character. And I think I found it a little unbelievable that you could have somebody that is so extreme in their condition as OCD, but then have somebody that's their partner who they're going to be around all day, every day, that is so messy and is so ying to their yang that is Rockwell's character. It seemed a little bit like those, they just wouldn't work if Cage's condition was so severe. Um, so it was a little... It was a little um, hard to kind of grasp that they would would coexist together. Um, I think you always have the the thing in the back of your mind when you're dealing with con artists that there is going to be a big swerve. So I think naturally, as the viewer, we're conditioned to not trust either of them. Really, mm. that one of them is going to stab the other one in the back. So I think I think Rockwell plays those traits well throughout the film. To be honest, I don't think. Up until the the final act, prior to what happens at the end of the film, is the only time I actually felt he was genuine. Um, But Mm. we'll get onto that a little later. Yeah,
2: I just I just thought that he was he's seen it all before and he's seen him go off the wagon before. Like he says, "Have you taken your pills today?" Just like a a throwaway thing, like it happens all the time. Mm. So it was Mm. it never really. Obviously, we've kind of established that these things never click with me anyway, (laughs) but. He um, it just seemed like oh, that's just That's just who he is. He's the one. He, he has to have his pills, or he's a bit med- mental. He's a bit mad.
1: Mm. Uh, at Cage's request, his doctor calls his ex-wife because he wants to find out whether or not he had a daughter. The doctor calls and finds out that she had the daughter, and she called Angela, and that she wants to meet him. We next seen Cage whilst he's waiting in his car to meet his daughter. I really liked this scene where he sat there. I thought Cage's acting in this was fantastic. Like a man with OCD and Tourette's, he would be struggling to keep everything in check when something as life-altering is coming down the road to come and meet him. He would be all over the place. Even if he was on meds, he would be struggling to, to keep it in. So he sat there, chain smoking, ticking, seemingly experiencing the world moving at different speeds. Like to this, this is where the film started for me. Everything up until this point felt like preamble, but this was where the film kicks into a uh, in, into like go mode in my eyes. What did we think of this? What did you think of Cage on this part?
2: I thought it was funny with him sitting outside a park. <laughs> Ticking and chain smoking with the kids around and you're <laughs> touching on creepy cage straight away. And it, it was a, the same thing. I think when when I take when I put it into the um, into the chat I said this film is great. And it was roundabout this time. Um because and I know we'll get on to it later, but you couldn't have anyone else playing this role from here on in. It's mm, just, it's, I agree. He's it's, it's superb.
0: Yeah, I agree. I agree completely. I think you as the film goes on you do start to empathize with the character and, and and we know that cage is very very um i'm not sure method acting is the right term but he puts a lot of time and effort in and, and and due diligence into absorbing that character i guess it is method acting mm. isn't it really and i think he threw everything into his um his mannerisms and the way that he portrayed the role and i think he, he played that role in the car outside while he's waiting to meet her exactly how it would be he, he did exactly the kind of thing that would be happening how the anxiety the ticking the the panicking the shifting around the the willie won't either i think he did it really really well and it was very very believable
2: yeah especially when he when he gets out of the car and then gets back in the car and all mm. that kind of he could have almost done it as a one shot and it had been it would have been perfect the way he did it
1: So Cage and Angela, they meet up. They have a nice day together and arrange to meet again to go bowling. Feeling good on his new meds and with his daughter now in his life, Cage decides he's all in for the lung con on some big fish. While setting up this big job, Angela comes by to Cage's house, saying that she's had an argument with her mum and that she's run away and asks to stay with Cage for a few nights. Cage and Rockwell are engineering their plan with the mark. The classic pigeon drop. Which is similar to the opening con job, the mark has to put money up in order to gain a larger sum at the end of it. The mark believes the two con artists in this are purely in it for the business and will walk away from it richer than when they begun. Returning home, Angela has disappeared. When she returns, Cage and her get into an argument as he as she sees he's been secretive and hiding a gun and money within his house. He opens up to her and she asks him to teach her a con which she duly does they buy a lottery ticket and with the results of the recent winning glotto draw they drop it in front of a woman she checks it and the woman says that she will give angela half of the money for the ticket they've won i thought this was quite a weirdly heartwarming scene between a father and a daughter bonding over an illegal activity <laughs> like it was a bit odd but I, I really liked their their relationship their chemistry together i thought it was really strong Mm. I thought they, they played it off really well together.
0: They did, and I think the what made it that bit more heartwarming is that Cage's symptoms alleviate when he's around her. The more he's mm-hmm. he's with her, and you know that actually, like this is where the film changed direction for me. That it wasn't going to be an Ocean's Eleven. It actually was going to be more of like a Hallmark kind of film, a feel good <laughs> kind of film, because actually it's going to be. The daughter's love is what saves him from himself kind of film um and it was it was nicely done because she's obviously she's so extremely different to him in every way and they just, you know sort of shoves it down your throat that they that he, she's completely different but they find common ground over like his profession and she looks up to him and she adores him and and he is enjoying being a father, thick, uh, a I a, say, father figure, her father, t- you know. Um, and then, as we start to like, he normalizes himself when he's around her, and he's obviously a happier person. It is a nice, warm, fuzzy feeling that I wasn't expecting from the film.
2: Yeah, the the whole thing in the in the laundrette was superb. Just the, I mean, it's one of those things where. It, you must have thought about it as well in the past. Like how, can, how can we make? How can we get someone? How can we trick someone into the, giving us this money? <laughs> <laughs> it was also like autobiographical part of this film because I'm pretty sure me and my cousin Andy almost tried this once. Um, <laughs> but you got the bit in the colour where that they're scratching off the number to make it look feasible, and that's what it is. And yeah, yeah, it's just really good. And how it was, how it kind of hinted at them, kind of like. Heist films where he was sitting there behind the paper and that kind of thing, and he could have almost had a bit of a bit of swing music in the background, and mm-hmm. it would have worked perfectly. But it was—I I loved that
1: the the reveal when uh, Angela is trying to get the, the the mark, and she asks this random guy for the paper, and he just drops it and it's Cage. I, I don't know why. I wasn't expecting that. I thought, oh, that's brilliant! <laughs> like I know it's not Cage. It's got to be him, but. I don't know, I just thought the reveal of it was really, really well done. It was fantastic. Whilst they were on this daddy-daughter date, Rockwell calls and tells them that their mark is coming in today and they have to move now. Lacking time to plan things, Cage has to take his daughter along. She's going to play the distraction. This is when I started to figure things out. We'll come to it in a little bit, obviously, but... There was just moments in this part where I thought, "Okay, I know where this film's going now, which did take the the sheen off a little bit. Before Cage was able to get away after completing the con job, then Mark found out that Cage had switched the briefcases and they've got away with all of the money. The Mark chasing them down, he sees Cage and Angela, but they just about managed to get away. Really rashed it up the tension in this scene, I thought. When the mark's attacking their car and then he's he's like bolting down the staircases whilst they're in the, the car trying to get out of this uh, car park. Like proper palpitations at times. I thought, shit, he's actually going to get to him. And he looked like he could handle himself. I so thought mm. it was really well done.
2: It was like the um, the car park at five ways well, in Birmingham, it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was a bit, yeah. <laughs> the 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 waiting at the barrier part was exceptional, I thought. Just, it's like you mm. said, everything kind of came together. And it was, it was this. It was shot slightly differently as well. It was like the first time in the whole film when there was a bit of shaky cam, and it worked. And I, I know you hate shaky cam as well, um, but it, it was it was necessary. And you, yeah. w- you wouldn't want to fuck with him, absolutely not. <laughs> the size of the guy.
0: Yeah, I thought it was. Um, I thought he was really well done. The way he showed his anxiety and, and stress in that scene, and I, I think this has already has this already been. I think I think the scene has already passed. Actually, where we find out about his medication was um, like menopause tablets or something like that. Uh, I'm not sure where that lies in the, in the in the plot. Um, is that coming up? I'm not sure. But no, like when would... he's when he when he's in the pharmacy and he's 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 going absolutely mental at like a bloke, but then <laughs> he, then he apologizes to him as well at the same time. I think he like comes across as, as really believable that like it's someone that his symptoms are really. Um, it really a plague to him, but he, like, he wants to keep it under control. I think he, he was doing that really well. He gets across his anxiety really well as a character.
1: After getting away, Cage and Rockwell find out that Angela has been arrested before and that she'd been seen by the mark, so they need to dump her. They know that she can lead the police to them. After a massive argument and separation, Cage sees his doctor who confirms that the pills he's been on have been placebos and that he doesn't actually need them. He needs to stop being a crook and sort his shit out, basically. Cage arranges to meet Angela once again. And he tells her that he's going to go into the process of getting custody of her. It means he will have to make changes to his life. Stop being a con artist. She asks him to try and make these changes as she wants to be in his life. This was, like, heartbreaking seeing Nick Cage opening up to his daughter. His daughter bawling her eyes out like... Both, both been sad and happy that he's willing to make these massive changes to his life to, to make sure that she's included in it. I thought it was really good. I thought that um, Alison Loman, who plays Angela, I she was fantastic in this. And
2: it, uh, it'd only been a week as well. You, well, you presume it was about a week where she'd even been in his life at all and he's, he's changed in that whole time.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Cage quits his partnership with Rockwell. Life appears to be good until returning home late one night. The Mark is there. He found Angela and traced her back to Cage. Angela manages to get out of the Mark's sight. She returns with a gun and she kills him. Cage tells Rockwell to take the daughter and get the hell out. When Cage goes back to clean up, the Mark has gone and then Cage is all of a sudden knocked out by forces we don't actually see. He wakes up in a hospital bed. There are two feds waiting for him. They're asking him where Rockwell and Angela are. He refuses to talk to them until he's spoken to his shrink. Cage gives his doctor a message to give to his daughter and the passcode for the safety deposit box. He then blacks out once again. Waking up, he finds out he's actually in the middle of nowhere. There are no police, no doctors, nothing around. Rockwell left Cage a message. He has taken everything from Cage. All of his money. He conned a con man. Cage goes to see his ex-wife. Just to see if Angela is actually safe. She tells him that she lost the baby when they split up. A year later Cage is working as a carpet sales guy. He's helping serve some guy. Only to see his girlfriend. And his girlfriend is Angela. She also got screwed by Rockwell. She never got the money that she was promised. I thought this was a really sweet ending. Like. Cage accepts what's happened and he's not letting it hold him back from his life. We see Cage he's now he's moved on, he's got married, he's expecting a child of his own. He's not holding a grudge against Angela because, as he said, she didn't steal the money, he gave it to her, which is very much the way he looked at what he was doing. He wasn't stealing money from people, they were giving it to him. Like, he, he could have ended on a really sour, bitter note, I think, and he didn't it's actually quite uplifting which like kudos to uh, to ridley scott on this because i don't think many of the directors would have gone that route on a film such as this
0: mm, i'm not as I'm not as satisfied by the ending as you are, Andy. Unfortunately, mm. I think it, it it very much felt like a, a '90s coming of age movie, as I, as, it, as I suppose it was in a way, except that our lead character is in a twenty-something going off to uni; he's a grown man that ends up working as a carpet salesman. I just, <laughs> I like it. It didn't it didn't feel within his character. It didn't feel within the character for me. Like, I'm not saying he should have been vengeful, and he should have like killed her or anything like that but i felt like because he was so smitten by her and it and he really enjoyed being the father figure to her that he would have been more hurt and not and held more resentment to her and not not be able to be like oh go on you know don't worry about it kind of thing and i think that the ending the swerve, fantastic. And I didn't see it coming. Like, I really didn't. Um, and I think it was it was executed really well. And the way that they... He went to, like, the scene of, like, the, the psychiatrists and nobody there. and He went to, like, the bank and everything else. It was really, really good. But the ending for me was just a little... Un, it was a little too neat, I guess. It was a little too tied up in a, in a bow. You know, I, I, just, I, I didn't fit... Uh, I just didn't think think that like it was just the natural reaction. Whereas Cage was so good throughout the whole film about responding to how somebody in that situation would be. Just he just felt too sanitised at the end. Stu, like, am I off the mark here, or
2: in a kind of world first, I'm going to agree with Andy, not you. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was a great ending. I thought it was very much a honour amongst thieves kind of thing. Um, and then that thing when she, she called him dad or something, when she turns around and gets in the, the, the car, I thought, oh, that's, it's obviously that they have some kind of, I mean, certainly he's got feelings for her when he realizes she's 20 years old and not actually not his daughter. I was thinking, mm, where's this going to go now? <laughs> but the, um, the chemistry between them, obviously there was something, there was something there, even though it wasn't what he thought. And, I just I liked it. I, I thought it was it rounded it off the film nicely because it was a, it was a weird film anyway. It was like three three or four different things all mashed together, and you could you try and compare this to something else, and I can't think of a single thing that's, it, that's anything like this. Just because of how well it was executed, how well the, you got the characters intermingling between themselves, and for someone as as rock star like as I compared it to earlier Rockwell's characters to pull that off fair play. And it's almost like, okay, yeah, I've lost absolutely everything. And then I'm, now I'm selling carpet to idiots. But again, I got done. It's the way of the world. And they yeah. like certainly he's happy. So that's the main thing in the end of the day.
0: It's strange. Cause it, it was like, you know, it had the almost good fellas end into it in that he's, now like a carpet salesman out of the game in, in legit, you know in and i think what's mm. it might just be me overanalyzing this but the fact that he's in is it remnants so he's in the scrap bit of the carpet he's got to sell <laughs> yeah. the scrap carpet just sums up that like yeah he's like he's no better off now than he was at the start of the film and the, the thing when you when he when she turns around and she calls him dad or whatever it is like to me that felt like oh she's She's just conning him again. It's exploitative as opposed to like a nice thing. I mean, this is just how I felt, you know, Mm. to me, like if I watch this film again now, like knowing the swerve, it's like the Forrest Gump thing. Like every time you watch Forrest Gump again and again, you realize just how much of a, how much of a twat Jenny is. With every watch, (laughs) she gets worse and worse and worse. And that's how I'd feel about this. Um, I don't know. I just, it just left me, it left a little sour taste for me. It wasn't that it just wasn't quite what I expected of the end because you know how often do we do we see that like good you know in the end the good guy prevails and everything like that well in the well in the end the worst of them all is the one that's got away with you know Rockwell's character is as far as we know he's the winner in this whole tale Mm. and it just seems strange to me I don't know
1: I think, for me, it showed the growth of Cage's character. Mm. Granted, they didn't show it on screen, but I think it was implied that actually he's gone on to go to the doctors, he's sorted his shit out. Yeah, He's now what seemingly in a healthy relationship with a woman who is carrying his baby. He has left the resentment behind that he would have felt. So that's what I felt, was that the character had grown in that year year away from the screen basically that's yeah. why I thought it works quite well
0: I, I agree, I agree with that I think that maybe if they'd have put him in like a like senior position at the carpet sales place or like he was mm. using his skills as obviously a great talker to be like a sales manager and you see him doing that thing not just being like the lackey of, at the wrong end of the, the carpet game where he's just trying to get rid of any scrap that no one else will have but Horses for courses, uh, you know. Mm.
2: It's it was almost like the the whole. she can tell from what we went well, in retrospect, going into the film knowing what it's described as, it's almost like the complete opposite of that. It is just a one man's journey in a way, and I've got things like that where he was he's got no telly because he's. I mean, why would he? Because he's he's employed to be strange anyway. He sits and reads with his his fridge open instead of having a light on. (laughs) And there's all these weird kind of quirks and stuff and he's saying things like, you're a nosy Parker, shame on you. And all these kind of, his turn of phrase at the start completely changes to just being a rounded person at the end. So all the stuff from his past and whatever led to him having some kind of tick breakdown, which is effectively what it was and developing all these conditions, (laughs) have all gone at the end. For me, I was, when it ended, I was like, kind of, "Oh," and I never expected to feel "Oh" <laughs> at the end of this film whatsoever. Going into it, and even even twenty five half twenty five minutes half air into it, I never expected that to be the case, but it was. It was for me, it was a nice ending.
1: Yeah, and I I don't normally like nice endings, so yeah, kudos to Ridley Scott and the team on this one. So, Matchstick Men was the only Nicolas Cage film released in two thousand and three. It had a budget of sixty two million dollars. It was the number two film in the States on release. It lost out to Once Upon a Time in Mexico, which is the third in the El Mariachi series. Stu, I'm guessing you may have seen that one, if anybody.
2: I ain't seen that one. I've seen I've seen no. the El Mariachi film. I know what it is. I've I've just I've never seen that mm. one.
1: Yeah. Matt, have you seen any of the El Mariachi films? Uh, I don't believe I have.
0: I'm just having a quick look now. Um...
1: So it's the Robert Rodriguez one um, starring... Oh, I was going to say Javier Bardem, but it's not Javier Bardem. It is the other good-looking chap from that neck of the woods whose name I have completely <laughs> forgotten. <laughs> <laughs> Antonio Banderas. Antonio. So it's the... It was the film that was El Mariachi, Desperado, and then Once Upon a Time in Mexico was the trilogy. Uh, for some reason, I've only seen Once Upon a Time in Mexico, which was meh. Yeah, the, the, you the, the worst
2: one. <laughs> I mean, you could have just said to him, Salma Hayek's in it, looking incredible again. And that, that's that's enough reason oh. to watch it.
1: Yeah, she's she's amazing. Absolutely amazing. <laughs> Uh, domestically it got $36.9 million and it had a worldwide gross of $65.5 million. So it just about made back its budget. By way of comparison, do either of you two know what the 2003 top grossing film was? I've
0: got a feeling... It's not catch me if you can on my way out...
1: No, uh, but that, that would have been around... I think that would have been 2004, if I remember correctly. Uh, no, it is Lord of the Rings Return of the King, which took $1.14 billion.
0: Only uh, only just ahead then.
1: Yeah, it, it was never really in consideration. It was also released on the same weekend as Cabin Fever and Lost in Translation.
2: Ugh. <laughs> I was oh.
1: waiting for that from Stuart. <laughs> The IMDb score was a healthy 7.3. The Meta score was a 61, which I thought was a little bit low. Uh, Rotten Tomatoes fan score was a 74% and the critical score was an 82%. Legendary critic Roger Ebert stated that the film is so absorbing that whenever it cuts away from the plot, there is another better plot to cut to. He felt that Cage and the scriptwriters could have been Oscar contenders. For reference, the actors who were nominated for that year. Bill Murray was nominated for Lost in Translation. Jude Law for Cold Mountain. Ben Kingsley for House of Sand and Fog, which I've never even heard of. Uh, Johnny Depp for Pirates of the Caribbean. (laughs) Uh, Sean Penn won for Mystic River. I've seen three of the five and to be fair Cage is equally as good if not better than two of them in this film but there we are. Ian Nathan from Empire Magazine said that Ridley Scott took away his visual athletics in favour of something leisurely and quietly devastating. I very much agree with this one I think Scott's approach here is really good. It's not what we associate with Ridley Scott. As you've said, we we see him in a sci-fi world. It's very rare that not only is it something down to earth, but actually it's a very small story based on earth as well. So, yeah, um, yeah, I think Scott did an excellent job. But not everybody liked it. Stephanie Zacharek from Salon.com. Matchstick men isn't even remotely intricate. It's not even particularly interesting. I don't think the film ever tried to be intricate, to be honest. It knows exactly what it is. Mm, it was just a, you know, a fairly straightforward story about. It was more about the characters than the plot, I think, personally. But mm. can't please everybody all of the time, can you? The fan reviews from Amazon.com. Uh, <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> there were three. There were three one-star reviews, but they were all about because the disc was broken, so <laughs> not very good. <laughs> However, Scott T. gave it a two-star rating. Poor Sam Rockwell does about as well as his talent allows against a massively exaggerated, neurotic Nicholas Cage. I th- thought he was poor to the point of unwatchable. There really was no subtlety to this performance, like he was trying too hard. Sam Rockwell glides through his role, but I found Cage almost impossible to like, let alone understand. The film drifted along at a leisurely pace, building the character backgrounds. We concentrate far too hard on Cage, and while we learn little about Rockwell, who is far more charming and interesting. Loman is great and does give the film a little lift. But Cage's initial reaction is meeting her and dealing with her staying out appeals so unnatural and rather awkward. So I don't think Scott T particularly liked Nicolas Cage in this film. But Amazon.com, 88% of the reviews were either four or five stars. So he was very much on his own with the uh, the reviews. And to be honest, the character that Nicolas Cage was playing, I don't think a subdued character would have worked in this movie. No. So the good, the bad, and the crazy. Stuart, would you like to kick us off?
2: The good was that everyone was believable. Even if even in... When you get hoist movies, normal, I know it's not really a hoist movie, but just for argument's sake, when you get things like this, you always expect someone to be a bit over the top. And One person's good at one thing, there's another who's good at something else. But they're... Well, it seems they're, quote, equal partners, and they better take turns, and... Everyone's seen it's it's as ridiculous as it is in the end because of the long con and everything. It's it's very believable, which is very rare in these kind of things. That was the good for me. I mean, as well as the performances of everyone, you can't say anyone bad performance in at all. Um, and we, we've already said about the laundry scene and, and his interactions and stuff. The bad. Uh, clutching at straws, I suppose, with a bad because there's not really that much you can say about it. Maybe the, I would have liked to see a few more cons, personally, like just because we had the main one and going to the house and with the with the forms in the pocket and all that kind of thing. I would have liked to have seen a bit more of that. If it was going to be another, say, another fifteen minutes or so, which we would have then mounded that it could have been cut out. So, it's all <laughs> give me one and take with the other. But yeah, I mean, personally, I would have liked a bit more of the them before she's introduced. Personally, and the crazy, just we get a bit of crazy cage, and that's what we, that's what we want. And proper crazy cage off his meds, crazy cage, which is just exemplary. And. Uh, I just couldn't stop smiling when he was going mental again and whenever he does this in and, and you can see that it is even when he was under the de- under the table scrubbing the uh, the joints of the ta- the um the table legs and things like that you see that intently intense look in his face I thought yeah he's going to pop it <laughs> someone's going to go off
1: it was good to look at this period of nick cage again because I think most of the films we've watched recently they've tended to have been Post 2010 or pre 95, and we were, he wasn't superstar Nicolas Cage at that point, so we this is closer to like his run with The Rock and Face Off, where we get those larger than life performances, I think, in parts. Yeah, so it's quite good to remind ourselves actually, this is what we fell in love with Nick Cage for initially. Yeah, Matt, your good, bad, and crazy, please.
0: So, the good, um, for me is whilst a massive chunk of the film is around the con the the parts i enjoyed the most are like the father-daughter interactions and i think that was Mm. really nicely done until the point we know that it isn't his daughter (laughs) i think it was actually really nicely done and it was sweet and it was heartwarming, and it made me enjoy the film for a diff because the whole con artist stuff i absolutely love i think i like i love those kind of films just in general but we took the film to a next dimension and actually okay this is actually a film about uh, uh, someone's journey within themselves and, and I think they did it really well the bad though I would have said um the film and I texted you yesterday uh, Andy just to say that the film was almost unremarkable nothing offensively bad about it at all but it was a just a little vanilla it was a little it didn't it didn't Going extremes in either way, so we didn't see the depravity or how bad he can get off his medication, but we didn't also see how good his life got at the end. Or actually, yes, he's, yes, he's, he's with a, with the woman who's probably affectionately wanted to be with for ages, and she's pregnant. That's great, but it never felt like we had that that real win at the end either. So it just felt very vanilla for me. The the, the film in parts, or at least that's the that's the. You know, love vanilla ice cream, don't get me wrong, but it would have just been it just that extra bit of flavor would have been good in the film. I think the crazy and one thing that we've praised the film for being really believable at parts, but at any point, do we not think that in in the week two weeks, he's not gonna have contacted his ex partner once to like have a conversation with her about the daughter? Come on now, like play the game. There's, they, they could have worked around that. I don't know how but they could have worked around that in some capacity. I know that they hinted at the fact that he was abusive, so probably they don't talk. But uh he just it was a little bit, you like, you know. Come on now,
2: don't insult with me
1: the,
2: with that one. I but, think uh, go just on. just as a jump in, just because of how they said how them they kind of lined it up in the first place. How he can't he can't speak to her, and he has oh, to yeah. go through his doctor, so if If his mm. daughter was in contact with her mum anyway, then why would he feel the need to if he couldn't speak to her before so that's just mm. just throw, throwing that one out there i mean they, they are yeah, so, hint, hints at uh, it to start with but
0: i so, i mean it's it's good that it's not a um an oversight or a plot hole, but it just doesn't feel like a very believable or or kind of it's very convenient put it that way. <laughs>
1: So for me, my good, and this is going to sound really arty, farty, wanky, but the (laughs) colour palette in this film I thought was really gorgeous. So like when Cage was keeping everything together, all the colours, they were natural, not overly filtered. It had like a real feel to it, as you would expect. However, when he was ticking and out of control, the colours were a lot more vibrant, almost offensive. Like the sun was so violently bright, it was like he's in hell almost trying to keep it together. Except when these obsessions were taking place within his household, when the colour palette was turned down like it was almost grayscale. I think they were trying to show with that that this was like his prison almost. So I thought that was really clever the way they played around with those those um ideas of, of colour in it. So that was really well done. Uh, The bad, I've got a minor one and a more major one. The minor one, I think two hours was probably too long. I think they could have made better use of some of, especially the first 15 to 20 minutes, up until when he actually meets Angela. I think that was, it was nice, but I wanted a bit more from that, I think, just to get us really uh, motoring along. Uh, I I think what that, for me, that shows is that good, big-name directors they think that they're above editing. Like, Spielberg's a bastard for this. He never edits his film, like, to a competent level, where you look at someone like uh, Martin Scorsese and his relationship with Thelma Schoonmaker. Like, she edits all of his films to within an inch of their life, and they're perfect for it. Like, the pacing's so much better. And I think more big-name directors need to get a good relationship with an editor, because I think more can be done. My more more major issue, sorry, the genre, not so much this film, but as we've alluded to, when you're watching a con or a heist movie, you go in knowing that you're only going to see half of the movie until the closing stages, when the rug gets pulled out from underneath you and you realise the con that's been going on all along. So you end up watching the film trying to see these moments that are going to, Unlock the rest of the film for you. That's just an issue I have with the genre personally. And the crazy Alison Lohman, I thought she was marvellous in this film, but when she turned up for her audition, she went dressed like a typical 14 year old would do. It wasn't until after the audition that she told. Ridley Scott, that she was twenty three at the time. <laughs> like at no point did I not think in this film that she was a fourteen year old kid. She was so believable in the role; I thought she was fantastic.
2: Yeah, I, I mean, I, I thought they'd done they'd gone the other way with it, where she was she was about eighteen, and they dressed her down for the the most part of the film, and then dressed her up for the, that last scene in the carpet warehouse, just because. Mm. I mean, that's. That's unbelievable that she was that old, playing someone nearly ten, nine, what nine years younger than her? herself. Yeah. It's ridiculous. Yeah. I, was, I was amazed by that.
1: So on to the two questions. Did you enjoy this film? For me, it's a yes. It's nothing revolutionary. It's well put together. It's well acted. It gave me what I wanted. And like I said before, compared to the trailer, it over exceeded expectations. So good on it.
2: Stu, did you enjoy it? Yeah, I, re- I really enjoyed it. It was just a really, really nice, pleasant evenings watching, and like Matt said, it's nothing. It's nothing exceptional. It's just, it's just very good at what it does, and there's nothing wrong with that, obviously. But I thoroughly enjoyed myself watching it from start to finish. Matt,
0: yeah, I enjoyed it. This film is very much the Owen Hargreaves of film <laughs>
2: <laughs> in that
0: it it tries to do a few different things and does it competently well, not amazingly well. Um mm. And I just think it was, it, yeah, it was a good film. I mean, the, the, the runtime was, was one thing that never actually crossed my mind because I was mm. entertained pretty much throughout it. Didn't feel like it was too long. So yeah, enjoyed it. I'd recommend it to, to someone who hasn't seen it before.
1: Superb. And the second question in this film and this film alone was Nicolas cage good or was he bad matt start us off
0: good i think i think so i think he's believable uh, for the majority of the time he's sympath- we are sympathetic to him as a character we're empathetic to him as a character and i think that he once again he's just about on 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 that very thin line of being crazy to the point where it's entertaining, but where it doesn't detract away from what he's trying to do as, as the character. So I think you, I think he was pretty, pretty good in this.
2: Yeah. yeah absolutely. I mean, what you you said about him um, should have been Oscar nominated. I mean, if you'd, if you'd made a few slight tweaks to this film, put it like a, some of somber soundtrack on it and change the end and made it into, and he kills himself. Then he would have won an Oscar automatically. (laughs) We all we all know this, Um, but yeah, I I thought he was superb in this. Absolutely, one of the one of the best sensible film performances from him that we've seen so far.
1: Mm. Yeah, I mean, I I thought he was good as well. I think portraying someone who has got mental health issues isn't easy. Often it just devolves into lazy stereotypes and really broad bullshit. Like, you know, if a coach has got Tourette's, they're going to say something inappropriate in a church. <laughs> or if they've got OCD, they're going to spend all their time washing their hands. Or, you know, flick the light switch on and off. And I don't feel that Cage ever devolved into that. I felt that it was respectful and quite real looking in parts I think he did a really good job of as you say he he did the crazy without going so far over the top that it detracted from the performance I think he did a cracking job I'm not sure I'd go as far as saying he was Oscar worthy but (laughs) yeah it was a a hell of a good performance from him so yeah so for the final part of the show I want you to complete this sentence if you liked matchstick men you should watch Stu start us off
2: the Maiden Heist, which again, stone, stone for looks there. It's um 2009. It's I'm I'm just going for the heist route because like I said, earlier, it's very hard to think of something as similar to this. But it's it's a fun heist film that's not in the same kind of vein with Christopher Walken, Morgan Freeman, William H Macy, museum security guards. And a painting. Oh, okay. Very, very much like a Mr. Bean film that keeps getting mentioned on here. Um, but yeah, in the same, similar kind of nice, nice, pleasant to her film, give it a chance. The Maiden Hoist.
1: Okay, excellent. Matt, complete the sentence.
2: Um, for me, uh,
0: if, if, if you enjoyed this film, I think you would really enjoy Do the Right Thing. Um, Jack Nicholson. Um, Jack Nicholson film about um, a sufferer of uh, obsessive compulsive disorder, a romantic comedy in parts as well. Very, very similar when you actually look between the similarities between the two, but he's also a um, misanthrope as well. So he kind of hates everybody in the world and has a very similar kind of ending. So I don't want to spoil for anyone that hasn't seen it, but he, um, his performance for me is, is, As believable as somebody who, I can't can't say too much about giving away like key parts of the plot, but it's a really good way of of showing how someone negatively deals with their um, their 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 issues or their um, their symptoms of like obsessive compulsive disorder but with that nice shiny bow of Hollywood around it towards the end. Um, It's just a really excellent film. I believe he won an Oscar for it or an an Academy Award, maybe. I think it was um, for his performance um, in the film, Nicholson as well. So very, very similar film, to be fair, but without that con artist
2: tagline at the end of it. Um, That's not do the right thing. Do the right thing is the Spike. That's why I'm confused.
1: That's the Spike Lee film. Spike Lee film where racism happens. No. Oh, as good I'm as it gets.
0: Of, um, as good as it gets. As good as it gets. Sorry. Yeah. Oh, I'm all over the place. I, yeah, it took me it a
1: minute then. I was just like, that's not the one. But yeah, I, I couldn't remember. it. Yeah. That's a great call though. I, I do love that film. So my choice is going to be Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. Obviously, it was mentioned earlier in the podcast. I chose this. Purely because I think it's Sam Rockwell's best performance. As we said, he won the Oscar for Best Supporting Actor and he won it for a reason. He was up against some good um, competition that time, uh, including his co star in this film, Woody Harrelson. It's a tale about a woman fighting for justice for her daughter who was violently raped and murdered, and the police failed to arrest anyone. Like, it sounds dark but it's some of the blackest humour you will ever see. It's a really, really good film. So that would be my recommendation if you enjoyed Matchstick Men. So that's another Nick Cage movie in the books. If you've seen Matchstick Men, or any of the other films, to be honest, that we've seen up to date, why not drop us an email and let us know what your thoughts are on these films? Or you can let us know if you think we've got anything wrong when we've been discussing it, or if we've missed anything out. If you want to send us a voice clip of a short review, then, you know, just get them into us. And it's cagefightingpod at gmail.com. Make sure that you're following us on the Twitter. It's at cagefightingpod. This is where we put out our calls for your questions and we do polls asking for your opinions on upcoming films. This week we discussed Ghostbusters 2, whether it's good or bad. And I was pleased to say that it was overwhelmingly good so everyone can fuck off saying it's not. And obviously, if you're listening to us now, make sure you've hit that subscribe button just to ensure that you don't miss a darn episode of our question casts, our picture pods or our uncaged bonus specials. And whilst you're subscribing, please make sure that you've left a review. Tell us what you like or even what you think we could do better to make it a more pleasurable experience. And finally, thank you for your continued support. If you can spread the word, tell a friend or a loved one, you don't even have to like them just tell people about us (laughs) if they like films sorry if they like podcasts about films let them know what we're doing we would be eternally grateful so for this week matt would you like to say goodbye
2: take it easy
0: guys stay
1: safe Stu, would you like to say goodbye be good kids and it's goodbye from me and remember it's tough times out there but the end's almost in sight now just be excellent to yourselves and each other
0: Welcome to Willie's Wonderland. Spend the night cleaning Willie's Wonderland, and I will pay to have your car fixed.
1: Deal. You. Officially, on staff. Let's get the hell out of here. I can't stand to hear a grown man scream.
2: This place has a dark history. I know the bullshit story they
1: told you. It's a lie.
2: You're here to be a human sacrifice. Have you been listening to
1: a word I've been saying? He's going to die in here, but he won't listen to me.
2: got out. It's your Nobody is safe. Put your balls on, Evan. We're going to Willie's. He's not trapped in here with them. We're trapped in here with him. It's your birthday, and we want you tea, it's your birthday, so
0: Time. I enjoy a man of few words. <laughs>